So Acts chapter 1, reading the first 11 verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Thanks, Steve. Hopefully I'm on air. Is that working? Good. In his book, Subversive Spirituality, Eugene Peterson, the author of the Message Bible, recounts an incident that happened to him on his lounge room floor with his grandson. He was playing with his grandson. He had a tennis ball and he was rolling it around and the little fella couldn't walk. He wasn't quite a toddler, but he could sort of crawl around or slither around. And he would try and chase after the ball and Eugene would uh, we'd bring it back to Eugene and he'd get it and he'd roll it again. And then it bounced off a chair leg and went under an old sink and all of a sudden it disappeared from sight. And this little grandson, his name was Andrew. Andrew just sat up on his nappy, looked around and looked for something else to play with. And Eugene immediately looked across to his daughter, Andrew's mother, and and said, Lynn, what's wrong with Andrew? And she was reading. She must have seen what was happening And she said, don't worry, don't you know, Dad, he doesn't have any concept yet of object permanence. Eugene said, of what? Of object permanence, Dad, haven't you heard of that? He said, no, what's object permanence? And she said, look, quite simply it means out of sight, out of mind. If you can't see it, it doesn't exist. And he He pondered for a bit and then he was a bit naughty. He said, I've got a whole congregation of people like that. (laughs) I'm sure he didn't really mean that. um, And I'm sure this congregation is not like that. But up to that point in Andrew's young life, everything revolved around instant gratification. If it couldn't be seen and sucked and felt and smelled, then... You just don't worry about it. And little children are like this. Most of all, most of what he saw and smelled and sucked uh, 
was his mum. And so his whole life revolved around his mum. And if she disappeared from sight, Andrew would get quite anxious. But if she insisted on being indispensable to him and not sometimes disappearing from sight, she wouldn't be doing him any favours, would she? In the long run, a child has to learn some independence, has to learn some separation and to stand on their own two feet. If they're always looking for security for for their trusted one being around or the familiar always being going their way, then they can grow up very insecure. They have to learn to stand on their own two feet. So the first few months of our life are spent in getting things ready in life. Feeding, having our needs met so we can grow strong and learn to walk and work. As we grow up, we come to grips with the reality of object permanence. Things do not cease to exist just because we can't see them. And responsibilities won't go away just because you choose to ignore them. It'll still be there. You can go out and have, you know, drown your sorrows, but your debt will still be there. Your credit card debt will still have to be paid off. You can't sort of submerge it under other experiences or feelings. Our maturity hinges on our coming to grips with object permanence. And you might say, okay, all right, I I, I see what you're getting at. What on earth has this got to do with Jesus going up into heaven? Well, I think it's got everything to do with it. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We're told to grow up to maturity in our salvation, aren't we? This is why Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. It's for your good that I'm going away. So I want us to think about what did Jesus' ascension, his going up into heaven, accomplish? Why was it good that he go away? And what, what's the connection there with object permanence? What difference would it make, put it this way, what difference would it make if Jesus was resurrected from the dead but did not go up into heaven? Would that make any difference? We know that he, Jesus doesn't die again. He's been resurrected, so he'll never die. So throughout the generations, he could be walking planet Earth and he could go around still doing good, doing miracles. But if he didn't go up to heaven, what, what would change? What, what would be different what was the value of him disappearing from our sight but not disappearing from reality? He's still permanent. We just can't see him. A cloud has taken him out of their sight, we're told. 
like a sink took the tennis ball out of Andrew's sight, but was still there. Well, the book of Acts begins with this intriguing statement, doesn't it? In my former book, Theophilus, verses 1 and 2, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. Think about that word, began. If you begin something, you're underway with it, aren't you? But you haven't necessarily finished. You might have begun to build a house. You can't wait for it to be finished. But while ever you can say, I've begun my house, you cannot say, I've finished my house. So if Jesus has begun to do and to teach certain things, the very clear implication is that that is going to continue. And that's what lies at the heart of the book of Acts. The clear idea is that Jesus continues the doing and teaching that he did on earth. But he does it in a much more powerful and complete or comprehensive way than if he had continued an itinerant ministry in Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee. Following his resurrection, Jesus prepared his disciples for his departure to heaven. Over a 40-day period, he spoke with them. We're just told that. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, verse 3, and spoke about the kingdom of God. So it's like a 40-day intensive on the kingdom. And Jesus is meeting with them regularly, teaching about the kingdom of God, the significance of him, if you like, taking his blood from the cross and going up into the eternal tabernacle in the heavens, not made with human hands, and sprinkling that blood on the mercy seat of the presence of God. Just like the high priest would take the blood of the animal that was sacrificed and go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat for atoning sacrifice to apply the blood from the animal to that place of the presence of God. That was needed to make the sacrifice effective on behalf of the people. And that's what Jesus is instructing them about as part of the kingdom of God. He's saying the kingdom becomes effective when what I have done for you becomes active in you by the working of the Spirit of God. And he's teaching them about this. And so we read in Acts chapter 2 and verses 32 and 33, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact, exalted, that is lifted high to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This Jesus is active This resurrected Christ has become not just the risen Christ out of the grave, but the risen Christ from the earth. He has risen up into heaven. He is taking what was accomplished on earth when he said, it is finished, and he's applying it into that eternal place of the presence of God where what is temporal becomes effective and eternal. And he's saying, 
Father, I present myself to you on behalf of the people for whom I shed my blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And he is taking that blood and he is bringing it to the Father's presence, into his presence as an atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And the Father could smell the sacrifice. He could receive his son and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You've done all things well. You have indeed finished the the purpose for which I have sent you into the world. So this clear idea of what Jesus began to do and to teach is being continued on in heaven. And the Spirit of God is what now makes this effective. So I could summarise it like this. Don't worry, it'll get easier. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus entered into heaven to take up his ministry roles as an eternal prophet, priest and king. He's the word of the Lord, the prophet. He's the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not by human descent, but being raised up out of the blue by God. So he's our great high priest and he's king of kings and lord of lords. He sheds his royal blood to make us a kingdom and priest to serve our God and Father. So we get adopted into the royal family and we become members of the household of faith. So the book of Hebrews talks about this in terms of doctrine. What Hebrews talks about in terms of teaching Acts shows us in terms of history and its outworking. The Jesus who went up into heaven in Acts 1 pours out the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And in Acts 2, unbelievable power is unleashed. The the whole thing about Babel and the confusion of, of human languages is reversed. And all of a sudden, people can hear Others speaking in the language in which they were born, speaking the wonderful praises of God. And the glory of the Lord is shining amongst his people. Tongues of fire, like were used in the sacrifice, are now sitting on the the heads of each of the people. And, And God is being glorified. The kingdom is arriving. God is pouring out his favor and love. He has received the blood of his Son, who through the eternal covenant offered himself to the Father and the Father said, I like what I smell. I like what I see. I like what I hear. You've done it. You've done it, my son. You've done it. And the book of Acts shows the powerful outworking of this in amongst broken human lives, incomplete and imperfect people. And so we just see through the book of Acts, God doing amazing things. So then God has granted the Gentiles repentance to life. So then God has raised up his son and this preaching of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done goes on and everywhere it's preached it bears fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work and lives get changed and some get turned off 
as Quentin reminded us the other week, and others get turned on. Some oppose and some are delighted. And you just see this unfolding through the book of Acts. So what did Jesus' ascension accomplish? Well, I would say much in every way. If you like to use the Old Testament analogy of Isaiah with lengthen the cords and strengthen the stakes, Jesus' ascension was a lengthening of the cords and a strengthening of the stakes of Israel's tent into the nations around them. Empowering the church as a missionary force that continues to this day. Granting power to God's people. Fulfilling the, the, God's promises to Abraham, to Moses and David and the prophets by establishing Jesus as the messianic king over Israel and the nations. Releasing the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit to empower the word of God. So you, a phrase you'll come across in the book of Acts is the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. How does the word of the Lord grow? What it means is the gospel, the seed of the gospel is taking root in people's hearts. So the word of the Lord is growing and bearing fruit in every good work in people's lives. The kingdom of God is on the advance. And it's all because Jesus has taken that once for all shed blood and he's sprinkled it on the mercy seat at the Father's right hand in the eternal tabernacle made without hands so that we might have the guarantee of a better covenant. We might have the things most surely believed among us made more certain that these things would be for us sealed with the blood of Christ that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And if Jesus did not go up and do that and just kept wandering around the earth doing many, many good things, we would miss out on an awful lot. There would be so much that wouldn't have happened. Pentecost wouldn't have happened. The Father and the Son poured out the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost. Jesus was at the Father's right hand for that to happen. So let me just give an analogy. Um, just in recent days, I've deactivated my Facebook account. Now, it... I'm not upset or anything and I know that, that people here, some people have just been in the act of befriending me and, but I've just come to the conclusion that I'm not a Facebook creature. I'm, I'm just not a social animal and if, if I go too far down that track then I find my time is taken up looking at this and looking at that and it just becomes a bit of a waste. So I deactivated my Facebook account. It's only two or three days ago. But until then, I could see the photographs of my old high school buddies who had their 40-year reunion last year from when we finished year 12. 40 years, it's hard to believe. Most of them are certainly alive and kicking. Some are not. But they, they don't look much like what I remember. Um... They've grown older, they've married, they've built houses, started families, gone grey and bald and become grandparents. And I said, is that Michael Vaughan? That can't be Michael Vaughan. 
Yeah, and you, you just sort of look at these photos and scratch your head and then you look in the mirror and realise, well, I'm not quite 18 anymore either. Things have changed. I have a pastor friend who, with his wife and children, moved to England last year. He blogs pretty regularly. He posts family photos on Facebook, emails urgent prayer requests and describes his, his ministry episodes his encounters and activities and he talks fondly of his time when he was here with us and talks about returning back here uh, to Tassie one day. And so it is with our Lord Jesus. He is praying for us. He is now in the far country of heaven. He is interceding for us and his intercession is the kind of intercession you really want to have. It's the kind of praying you really do need. It's effective praying. If the effective prayer of a righteous man is powerful and very effective, then how much more is Christ's prayer to the Father for those for whom he shed his blood? So we can come with boldness and confidence and draw near to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help us in the hour of need because of what Jesus has done. And he's preparing a place for us. And he said, I will come back for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be where I am, that where I am, there you may be also. And your joy will overflow. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So by going into heaven and being seated at the place of honour at the Father's right hand, Jesus has assumed the place of total authority in heaven and earth. Over all sin and death, over angels and demons, over kings and governors, over dictators and intellectuals, over Angela Merkel and Barack Obama, over Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawking, over me and over you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So have you developed object permanence about this situation with Jesus? Do you know and are you persuaded in your heart that just because you cannot see him doesn't mean he's idle and not doing anything or he's tarrying or he's got delayed on a holiday or he's not coming back like he promised he would. We need by faith to draw near and faith faith is the, the grasping of things not seen, the holding on with confidence to the things that, that we don't see yet we know are true and we're persuaded in our hearts and we've got to develop this object permanence idea about Jesus that he is still there, very, very active and we need to trust that, trust him. He says, behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I'll give to everyone according to what he has done. 
He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you see that the Lord is doing far more for you from heaven than he ever could have done if you remained on the earth? Far more. Far more powerful. Greater fullness. Worldwide significance. Promises where the, the, the shell of the seed has been cracked open so that it can start to germinate. And it began with his resurrection as the foretaste of our own. And now it's receiving a mighty watering, a fertilisation at the Father's right hand. And it's underway. The harvest, the, the orchard is growing. God is going to bring in the first fruits of his harvest. And it's because he is at the Father's right hand. And he is coming back. So let us press on to maturity by standing firm on God's promises, keeping ourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and thank you so much for your faithfulness that you have done what we could never do, that you have given us a perfect substitute, your only begotten son, to live, to die, to be buried, to rise, to walk again on the earth as a resurrected one and teach about the kingdom, to inspire through the outpouring of the spirit when he ascended to heaven and to give us your word made more sure, guaranteed, sealed by his blood. We thank you, Father, that by water and spirit we have life. Water of new birth and the outpouring of your spirit, we have life and we have it more abundantly. Father God, like Moses, open the eyes of our understanding to see him who is invisible. Help us to, to draw heavenward. Draw us heavenward, Lord, with your cords of thankfulness and love. Help us to know you as the living God and our God. Help us to experience the power of Jesus' resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so that we might become like him day by day. Lord Jesus, show us what it means for you to be our prophet, our priest and our king. Like those first disciples, enable us to know the witness of your spirit in our hearts as you move us on from barren infancy into fruitful maturity. Lead us on, Lord. Incline our hearts to love you more completely to serve you more wholeheartedly and to love one another more unselfishly and all of this with great joy. Through Jesus we pray, Lord. Amen.